Pelotero Pickle, episode 142. The MLB playoffs are in full swing. We talk wild card and first round. Uh, deep dive into playoffs and Sasaki coming from Japan. A lot of talk about college recruiting. Check it out. Tarot Pickle, episode 142. My name is Bobby Tewksbury. Joining me today is not Chris Colbell. Mike Holt is joining us. Excited to have him on. Uh, before we get started, a reminder, send us your questions, topics to pickle at pelletero.com or find us on social media, uh, Pelletero Pickle, Pelletero App, Tewks Hitting. Mike, what's your what's your handle? Mike Holt. Oh, nine, Mol- like Molten that. Lava 22 used to be it, but I think it's, yeah. I think it's Mike Holt. Your app. AOL. Your old AOL screen name. Yeah. 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 Very good. Uh, let's jump right into the topics because we have a little bit of a time crunch today, but <clears throat> also playoffs are just what's happening right now. Uh, do we have any like non-baseball news? We usually start with non-baseball news. Anything uh, sport- sporting world? Football's weird. The Patriots stink. What's, who's your football team? You're a Connecticut guy. Uh, honestly, you used Patriots to be a Patriots fan, but I've come to the conclusion when Brady left, I was just a Brady fan. Yeah. So yeah. I like the Dolphins. I love their colors when I was little. So now they're doing well again. So I'll be a front runner. I'm now a Dolphin fan. So yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. that guy. Dolphins are good. They put up with like 70 points or something that one a couple weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Patriots, <clears throat> not good. They stink. Not good. They just can't do anything. College football, <clears throat> Texas, Oklahoma was a big game here last week. Oklahoma. It was a very, very entertaining game. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't. I've been really focused. My my daughter's playing soccer again, so that was kind of my my sporting world focus was on soccer. Love it. I was a scorekeeper. I, I kept score and I kept track of playing time. So very exciting. <laughs> we won. We won six five. They uh they pulled it out at the end. Very important stuff. Love so, it. All right, let's get into playoffs. <clears throat> so last week was uh, wild card week. I loved. That first day was like uh, I felt like the NCAA tournament, four games. Every time you turn on the TV, there's a game on. That wow. was fun. Uh, all four wild cards were two nothing sweeps, right? Two nothing. Didn't see that coming, honestly. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'm trying to pull up the the full playoff. And home field advantage didn't always bracket. win. No, no. So that was, that was uh, Texas is good. The Rangers are good. Yep. They're just good. They're basking. They're basking hit. Um, Two out hitting is unbelievable in the playoffs. Nathan Avaldi's like the best pitcher of all time. I wouldn't want right? to face he's him. Just, I mean, in the playoffs, he turns on a different level. He's got just he, – he attacks. I used to say this about uh, David Price. David Price would like attack the zone. I always felt like he was a good regular season pitcher. He just filled it up and he attacked you and he came at you. But his stuff was – Stuff was like mildly hittable, mm-hmm. where like his stuff was nasty, but he was always around the zone. Mm-hmm. I feel like Evaldi's got more chase. He's got more stuff that like dives and moves bigger, so he he doesn't get you out by just like pounding the zone and pounding like in just a, a barrage. It's more like he he does that barrage, but it's got movement and it, it, his pitches dart more. He's got yeah. more swing and miss. He doesn't get like I feel like Price would always get like 
cheap hits here and there and like guys would get on base and then bad things would happen. Avaldi yep. doesn't have that. Just doesn't do it. Uh, twins surprised me. I thought the Blue Jays were going to show out a little bit better. The Twins, happy for them. Been a while since they won a playoff game. Uh, Tampa Bay, I thought, was going to put up more of a fight, but Texas just feels like a buzzsaw right now. Feel good. They're hot. Uh, Arizona, what are, you, what are your thoughts on Arizona Diamondbacks? I Borderline, I think in our previous show, I said I forgot they're in the Major League like baseball playoff <laughs> world. Not even like not even the playoffs. I thought I think I forgot they were a team. I, I just don't hear about them. When I would look up the wild card stuff, I never really noticed where they were. And then they just went and just, just swept the Brewers. They're up to nothing against uh, the Dodgers right now. It's crazy. I'm, I mean, I didn't know much about their pitching, and I still don't know much about their pitching. But their hitters are – they're the gritty guys. They're the guys that's going to work good at bats. They're going to get on base. They're quick. Corbin Carroll's like – I mean, he just changed that whole lineup. He does a lot for that. Um, but the guys around them, they're, they're not easy outs. Like you look at the Yankees, like it's going to be your big hitters, 0-2, yeah. 1-2, swing and miss, and then nothing on the base path. That goes a long way in the playoffs. I mean, if you can put pressure constantly on the defense. And they started pitch one. Like, I mean, it was – they were swinging. So it's, it's fun to watch. Against Kershaw, they put up – was it like I eight, mean, nine runs? They put they put up runs quick on Kershaw, and Kershaw's got his whole playoff Kershaw thing. Um, there's a. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Thoughts of like regular season hitting versus playoff hitting, and if we go back to like college, you could be like Friday night guy versus Sunday guy or midweek guy. Like, what's the difference in your mindset? Like, what's your? How do you feel going into those games? I think the focus is just a little bit different. I mean, I think the preparation's a little bit different. They've had time to prepare a little bit more. They know what guys are going into. They know what batters they face. They know how they've worked them in the past. They have a little bit of leverage. I think playoff baseball is definitely like a, a weekend college series. I mean, you're going to get the cream of the crop pitching. You're going to get guys that are focused in the box. Like I saw that bat last night against, I think it was Nathan Lowe versus who was the pitcher that they're facing. I don't even know who it was, but it was like a 13-pitch at bat. After like the 12th, 10th, 11th, 12th pitch in the regular season, like there's a little bit of a smile maybe. Like, oh, he, they were both just super laser focused and it was just like, let's go bring it. Like there's just a different, it's a different atmosphere in the mindset. I think in uh, over the course of really any season, like I'm talking, you can go down to youth levels where you're playing mm-hmm. like what a 12 game schedule. Um High school in New Hampshire was like 18-game regular season. College, 40, 50 games. At some point, they start to blend together. Conference weekend in college always had that more intense feeling. Oh, yeah. But there's some games where things start blurring together, and it's like, yeah, it's just another pitch. It's just another at-bat. It's just another play. Playoffs, everything is so amplified. Mm -hmm. Every moment matters. I would imagine these guys are – are more mentally fatigued after games and physically fatigued yeah. compared to regular season. Just from an energy standpoint, I actually, I'm very curious to hear about this from you from an energy standpoint, going from like a triple a game to a major league game, just the fanfare. There's more people. The story, I, I tell a story about the home run derby when I threw in it, that it felt like my body absorbed their energy. Like yeah. I, 
I was up till four o'clock in the morning, like just wired <laughs> because I couldn't like it, I, like it just felt like all of their energy was in my body and I just couldn't yeah. turn it off. Does that make sense? Like it does a million do you, percent. Do you, and you feel like that? I still can't sleep because of it. Like, I think my brain's just so can like, I'm, I'm meant like the thousands of fans late night, the energy's still there at the end. Like, but it's a weird, my brain is like, wants to turn off. Like it's exhausted, but it won't turn off. Right. And I remember like my first week in the big leagues, it was an absolute roller coaster. I literally, I spent like about 15 hours once the week was over, just sleeping on the day off, you know, came in first at bat hit standing ovation, unreal. Right. Next game, base running mistake, lose the game. Terrible. Like next, the next, the next game, Sacrifice fly to help win the game. Again, boom. Then the next game, on the road in Kansas City, make an air, ground, routine ground ball, double play, make an air, walk off air. Like, I'm just like, holy shit. And then the next game, three <laughs> games after that, I have a walk-off hit, pinch hit, walk-off hit. Like, that. when that happened, I literally was like, I, I don't know if I can play here anymore. Like, if it's like this all the time, I'm done. I can't do this emotional roller coaster every game. And it's too, it too continues and too it, low. Yeah. Yeah. It continues the whole way through though, even when you're playing steady. You know, those games, it doesn't matter. If you get the fans involved late and you get a three two ball game, yeah, you're up till three in the morning. But your body wants they to go to bed. You just you just can't. What was your what was your focus like? when it was, when it was amped up like that, what, what did your brain do? Cause for some people I feel like it speeds up and some people it slows down. Um, for me, it was always felt like it slowed down and like things got quiet, but some people, like if you can't, you know, like clean, was it clear the mechanism in uh for love of the yeah. game when yeah. Costner's up there and he's like, clear the mechanism. And it's like, shoo, everything just fades. What, what was it like for you in, in the bigger moments? Um, you know, I never had it in the box really early on in my career. Um, I had it defensively because I was playing a different position. So things tended to like be amplified a lot more for me. I did two things really. I, I, I really would s try to stand near somebody that's been in the situation for a long time in the dugout and just talk with them. Like that kind of helped calm me down. And they had usually words of advice or just got my mind away from what's going on. You know, like it, it's finding is finding a guy that's like trusted and has been there, done that helps ease anything. Um, but yeah, I think it's for me mentally to get through that. It's, you do have to treat it like a, the best advice I got was treat it like a backyard baseball, which sounds crazy. And it takes time to get that mindset to like kick in, but you know, you're, you're in double a facing guys that are throwing harder than these guys. You're facing guys that are hitting the ball harder than these guys, but in the big leagues, they're more, they can repeat it more and more and more. So like, that's why they're there. That's why they stick. So it's not like you're not facing big league stuff. So you just have to go back to like when you're in double A, like when you're the dude, you walk up to the plate, they're fearing you, fearing you or defensively, you're supposed to make that play. You just gotta, you gotta let yeah. that seep back in. It's weird how uh, there's a book called uh, be a player. It's a golf book. Yeah. Excellent golf. If, if you're listening and you haven't read that book, or you're not aware of that book, be a player, Pia Nelson, get it, read it. It's golf, but it has a ton of practical application to just sport and focus and confidence mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Um, in that book, they talk about a think box and a play box, which I really like. So the think box is standing behind the ball, thinking golf wise, standing behind the ball, visualizing your shot, planning out 
like where do I want it to land? What's the wind doing? What's my lie? What am I uphill, downhill, side hill in the rough, in the fairway? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what flight do I want? Am I going to try to shape it? But all that stuff. And then once you kind of address the ball, then you're in the play box and you just turn all that off. Mm-hmm. Like you've basically put that all in your brain and they talk about getting into your senses and, and how something as simple as like squeezing the grip. I have a golf clip. Like the golf clip, it, the golf grip doesn't squeeze a lot, but it squeezes like a little bit. So just the mm-hmm. act of like squeezing the grip gets you into your physical senses more. And it just like helps you eliminate all the other noise and noise not necessarily being audible, but like emotions, pressure, fans, all the external stuff that doesn't matter to doing what you actually need to do in that moment. Um, so they talk in that book, there's, there's, there's things that where it's like uh, smell can be really good for a trigger. Um, the smell of lavender is supposed to do that quite a bit, which is yeah. funny. Cause I was, I, at one point I wanted to make batting gloves with like a lavender pa- uh, patch on it, like a scratch and sniff, <laughs> like, Get a little smell. <laughs> you see kids in the batter's box uh, and smell in their batting gloves. But uh, the, yeah, that book is it's um it's amazing. And and if you think about it from a baseball or softball a hitting standpoint, there's an actual batter's box. Like when you're out of the box, mm-hmm. what pitch is going to throw? What's the situation? How many outs? What's the score? Where's the defense aligned? You know, what do you throw mm-hmm. me in my last at bat? What's how are they attacking me this weekend? Whatever that whatever that think component is. Get in the box, take a deep breath, and then just like see the ball. And yep. doing something like squeezing the grip or focusing on your breath or like narrowing your focus, like those are all things that can help isolate. And if you're really focused on those senses, I think that's when everything else fades. That's when like the world melts Agreed. around you because you have to be, you have to, it's like a meditation thing. If you really, really like, focus on your breath. You can only focus on one thing at a time. You can't, you can't let all these other things come in. But basically if you, if you're so focused on one thing, like if you, if you think of attention as like a scale of zero to a hundred, if you put 90% focus on one thing, a hundred percent focus on one thing, you don't have room to focus on other stuff. Mm-hmm. If you do like Agreed. 10% here, 10% here, 10% here, you can spread that out. And nothing really has your focus. I saw um, I, I saw that thing yeah, on Barstool. They were had the uh, a mental guy following around. I don't know Frankie or something like that. Frankie and there, yeah, yeah. One of his cues was when the golf glove is off, you're free. Like you're you're not in game mode. So he's like Tiger. These guys once they have their they always have it undone. But when they're getting up and they're like, this is the focus. They turn it back on. That's kind of like what you're saying. It, it, it intrigued me a lot. I do like that. Yep. It, it gives yourself, gives yourself the freedom to like not be engaged because you can't maintain mm-hmm. that focus a hundred percent of the time. No. You're just going to, you're going to burn out. You're going to, you're going to mentally fatigue yourself if you do that. Yeah. I wonder what the actual focus rate is per game for like a third baseman. Talk about every pitch he sees. So like when he's in the ready position, and when he's in the box, like how, how long he's actually focused for, for three hours. I don't think it's that long. I mean, per pitch, 95 pitches, it's, one second. You know, the whole, second like, there, yeah. There's elements of like looking around, paying attention, knowing the score. There's a lot of like background yeah, yeah. stuff that's that. there. 
But in terms yeah. of like narrow, narrow focus, it's essentially mm-hmm. like as the pitcher is getting ready to, to deliver the ball. About two seconds, 95 pitches playing defense, and then you got, you know, f- hopefully four or five at bats. Yeah. Yeah. Total high level focus, like four minutes. <laughs> three yeah. or four minutes of the whole game. I mean, obviously, three hours is total focus, but yeah, high level. Yeah. Four minutes is probably fair. Yeah. I like it. Uh, last, for just getting back to the playoffs, we didn't talk about the the Phillies. Steamrolled the Marlins. Uh, in, a, in a good series now with the Braves, which is a good segue to the, the game that just happened. But before we get into that, thoughts on having a bye versus not having a bye? Because we had all the wild card series were sweeps. Mm-hmm. All of them. And Texas just swept the, the Orioles. Uh, Arizona's got a, got a lead. Um, the other two series, they've they've traded wins and losses. But it certainly seems like this year, coming out of a wild card, created momentum. That's what it's felt like. Yeah, I think there's I think there's a couple things you could think about with that. If you think about those games, those pitchers, they didn't use a lot of their bullpen. Plus, they won two games in a row, so they still had an off two off days or one, one or two off days, right? If it went three games. And some of those games are like, hey, you got six pitchers going in there, high lever situations, and you use them again. And then, you know, then you go into the next series a little banged up, still riding a high of winning the series, but banged up. Two games coming in and walking out two games and then going into that extremely hot, you have to assume that they were going to come banging like Diamondbacks did, Phillies, against better competition. I mean, the Dodgers and the Braves are better than the Phillies, but they are hot. They have what it takes to beat them, and they're hot. I feel like the Phillies, the fan base is so rabid. Oh, just, God, electric! It's incredible fans from an energy standpoint. From a that uh, the Stott Grand Slam. Did you see that raw video with with audio, the, the in-stadium audio? So amazing. Yeah, it's. Everybody singing their song. Hits the Grand. He doesn't slam. remember. People he doesn't crazy. remember slamming the bat like Hoskins did. He, you don't remember anything. No, that's so a full it's... blackout moment. Absolute full blackout. Yep. Um, for me, I always liked routine. I think that's the – like baseball players are very routine-driven. It's get to the park, you know, mm-hmm. grab a bite to eat, go to the bathroom, take a shower. Like whatever that routine is, typically like get to the park at the same time, go through the same routine. It's like it's it's like priming the pump. It's getting, getting the engine mm-hmm. started to, for that day and – when guys find routines that they like, they like to stick to them. So the whole like, you know, Atlanta's just hanging out for a week. Like, what are you going to enter squad, take BP, get to the field, yeah. and run around? It's like, probably a lot of media. I think media is a big deal yeah. too because you're just like, it's a lot of different things, a lot of new things, a lot of different attention. So how can you, <clears throat> you know, pl- fans want the players to be accessible, but the players need to protect their routines and their process do you ever have any trouble with that yeah. i'm sure like like playing close to home is probably always hectic because you're dealing with fans or like not fans you're, you're like mm-hmm. family wants tickets and you're doing dinners and you're you know not in your routine it's not like it throws you I'm off sure your routine point, a little bit but yeah yeah there, there's always a comfort like with my family but with the friends yeah they, 
next thing you know, you haven't talked to him in forever. It's, hey, Mike, can I get this? Hey, Mike, let's go to lunch. It's, you know, all, all that stuff, which for me as a person, like I always want to respond and I wish I could and all that. Like it's just attention that I'm not used to and, and all that. But there is the comfort of of being there that always kind of helps whenever the routine's flown off. It's It helps like having family there. Um, yeah. I do remember my first at bat at Yankee Stadium. Um, there were so many Brantford fans there that you could hear on Yes Network. It was, let's go, oh, like screaming, let's go. And then Russell Martin amazing. looks at me and he goes, who the fuck are you? And I'm like, nobody. I'm like, who said right that? In the back. Who said Russell that? Martin was catching for the Yanks. He's like, Russell who the fuck Martin. are you? And I'm like, nobody. And I just got back in. Just and then he's like, no, I'm just, he's like, kid. I'm kidding, man. Yeah, I'm kidding, man. Congrats. Like, that's that's awesome that you're here with everyone around. But, like, Yankee Stadium. Like, when I was a kid, 12 years old, 10 years old, went for a birthday party. Like, did I think my name would ever get chanted as an opposing team player? No. So, it is wow. cool. There's the comfort of having, like, family and friends there. But it does throw you out. Like, if I am going to a dinner for 30 people with the family and I'm out till, you know, 12 o'clock, I still have to get my routine and my brain to calm down to go to bed. Next thing you know, I'm going to bed at three, four and you know, it's, it's worth it. But yeah, the routine is everything for a baseball player. Yeah. I used to yeah. know like when Ian Kinsler would come into the stadium, like he would come in on Tuesday with his suit on, like Tuesday was his son and daughters or his kids swim, swim lessons. But like he was so routine oriented that like I knew when he would be in the cage. I knew he'd be yeah. walking through on Tuesday with a bidding suit on because he's coming straight from the like. It's just those guys were, that are really successful are incredible. How they like Wednesday's yeah. Chipotle day. Like he's going to come out with like that's especially when it's working. You need to have that when it's not working though. Is to get back on track. Is to have your mindset go. All right, things are off, but I know what works, and I'm going to go back to that and have that routine. Yeah. And I, I mean, the physical, the physical aspect of the routine is just triggering the mental comfort and the mental processes. Yes. Like it's, it's way 100%. more mental than it is physical. And like, yeah, you're going to get your body ready and you got to get, get your feels right and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, Definitely all right, not let's go, let's jump into, uh, let's jump into Phillies Braves. Uh, I'm pumped for the rest of the series. Me too. The, um, End of game two was a pretty awesome play. So Bryce Harper got doubled off. Uh, what's the center fielder's name uh, for the Braves? Harris. Um, Harris uh, was it? Harris. Michael Harris. Harris, Harris. Yeah. Great play. Castellanos drove a ball to right center. Off the bat, I didn't think it was no. deep at all, like watching it live. No. I don't know if it was like the fan noise, just being loud. Drove the ball to right. Harper's on first with one out. Takes – a lot of a lot of controversy on this on the internet on the on the on the X. I can't call mm -hmm. it X. It's still on Twitter. Still, still on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, Cleveland is also still the Indians in my brain. I haven't made that switch yet. Yeah. Um, so that's just my. I think that's just getting old. I'm getting stubborn about certain things. <laughs> I uh, like it. So Harper ends up getting doubled off. Harris makes this a nice catch, jumping into the wall, gets the ball, fires it in. Uh, gets past the middle infielders. Riley's backing up second, throws the first double play. Very exciting. Fans go crazy. A lot of controversy about was Harper being too aggressive. A lot of strong opinions both ways. I did not hate the base running because, like, what? where's the mistake? 
because people keep saying it's a mistake. It was, I guess, too risky. Should only be at second base. I don't. I'm not convinced he scores from second base if he's just standing there. You kind of like hover. It's one of those plays where you just get yeah, second, just kind of like hover, and you just kind of. I think he could have been like moving towards third, but not running towards third. If that makes sense, like more of like a shuffle, shuffle, like making. Uh, he could have been opened up, looking out to the outfield, so he can make the his own read as quick as possible. But he was running pretty hard. It actually looked like he sped up a little bit. When he hit the brakes, he slipped, and then he got thrown out by half a step. It was, it was bang bang play. But I think if he didn't slip, he would have been safe. So there, for me, there's two ways to look at it. He's trying to win the ball game. The defense, the center fielder, had to make an outstanding play to prevent him from scoring right there. If he only yeah. gets a third, you still need a hit to win. If he's still on first. You need a double or an extra base hit to win because you're not going to score from on a single. So to me, it was a calculated risk. Didn't work out. They lost the game. You're up against a closer. Uh, I don't know who's up next or what the what the next uh, the next hitters were. I haven't thought that far through it. But like, basically, you need to take your chance. You're 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 up against a closer with two outs in the ninth, standing on first base, or standing on third. You have a chance to, to win. You have, or you have a chance to tie the game. You have a chance to score. A little yeah. was he aggressive, but for me as a coach, make an aggressive mistake. Don't make a pass mistake. That's my take. Absolutely. That's the problem with the playoffs is sometimes where those guys do make those passive mistakes. I'd rather be aggressive. It's going to win ball games being aggressive. You got two things going into it. You got the Braves were also coming in with that inning with so much momentum. I mean, remember it was four nothing in the six or whatever it was. So they're coming in with all the momentum. There's a chance for them to steal some of that momentum. I mean, you got not to mention what I saw there. I didn't know he slipped. The only thing I saw as a as a defense guy was the play Riley made. If Riley doesn't make that play, I yeah. mean that's an extremely hard play to make in that situation with that with all the pressure of everything coming on there. So aggressive, yes. A lot of things had to go right for the Braves to make it happen, and it did. The you know, Braves had to make the catch. They had to make the catch. Yeah, they had the over. They had to overcome the overthrow. Because the throw could have gone yep. to first, but I think he would have beat. Uh, it's a long it throw right to Riley to first, and Riley yeah. had to back up the base. And a, and a, it's a fairly non-routine play. That's not something that happens well, frequently. A, a backhand movement going the other way. You got to make yeah, a play. It's like, yeah, a, it's like a backhand easy. run through. It's like a first baseman on it's a throw, bunt throwing a third. It looked like it was a hundred yeah. miles an hour to first base that he threw. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, yeah. yeah, that's just it's just not a play that gets practiced like. No, he doesn't need to be a third there because of the play. And he just, he, that was a good read on his part to move in there because in theory, he should have been a third. If the ball drops, if Harper's running that way. So as soon as, as soon as that, that was probably the most heads up thing about it. Like Harris making the play, that's a physical play, which is awesome. But Riley, the heads Mm -hmm. up move to back that up, I thought was outstanding. And if none of those things happen, I still don't think I tried to time it up a little bit. There was a, uh, uh, MLB has the whole Hawkeye thing where they they create the stick figures of the. Have you seen those on on? Yeah, Twitter? so sad. Like, yeah, it's cool. I don't know why you don't just watch the video of the actual play. I get, I get, I don't know. It's it's cool. I understand the data behind it, which is very cool. But the actual like stick figures running around, it's cool that you can like reposition the camera so you could like you could basically put yourself in Bryce Harper's eyes running and like right. relive that play, which would be really cool. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, I try to time it up to see if, if the ball dropped, if the ball kicks away, he definitely scores. Like if, if he jumps and it like goes yep. off his glove and caroms, oh, yeah. definitely going to score. But if it like drops straight down, Acuna was right there. Acuna's got a cannon. Yeah. Uh, I don't, didn't seem like Harris has a weak arm either, but um, no. yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with it. People losing their minds. Oh, you can't make the, trying to win a ball game. Like this is the playoffs. It's a sprint. You got it. <laughs> yeah, all, all those people played in those moments. So they, I get, I get their opinions, you know? Oh yeah. They've all been there. They've all been there. Yeah. They've many, all been there. So many, they, they understand. How many times has a, how many times in the history of baseball has that play happened? You're down by you're you have a chance to go Rebel up two nothing in a best of five. You're in the playoffs. You're you get closer on the mound. I mean, Jeter is the only specific one I can ball. think of. Jeter doing that play. It, the it was play a Jeterish. Same, it was a Jeterish kind of play. Similar. Yeah, kind of like that. Being in the right place. Like that. Yeah. Uh, I I might need some context to the next topic. Hitting in the playoffs is easy. Dumbest thing Adam Kennedy has ever heard. I think Chris had a video on <laughs> talking about hitting in the playoffs being easy. Um, I didn't see Adam Kennedy talking about that, but I think there's there's different ways to look at the challenge of hitting in the playoffs. Chris's um, video, I think, was from last year. Chris's mindset, Chris, to me, in terms of like people that I know and like mindsets, for him, batting average doesn't matter anymore, and he carries so much, so much of his value as a player. Is, is tied to his batting average. So when you when you eliminate that, he just has mental freedom. And he's like, any at-bat can change the game because ultimately he cares about winning more than okay. anything else. So for him, it's like complete mental freedom. And yes, the moments are big. And yes, there's all that emotional stuff. But if you have the freedom of like, nobody cares if I make an out, it's just another out. Where I, all I care about is trying to help the team win. In that regard, it, it makes it easier. But uh, in terms of like pitching and like, they're bringing out the best arm possible for every single at bat. I think the Dodgers went too far with that. But before before we talk about that, what are, what are your thoughts on hitting in the playoffs is easy? Do you think Chris is right or wrong? I think he's right. I think, especially if you ask Kyle Schwarber, I mean, a guy that had a, I mean, he had a pretty good year. Listen, he hit 200, but all the other stuff's great on base, all that. But Kyle Schwarber's batting average on balls in play was like 230 or something. It's a pretty unlucky year. But he'd be not. He now becomes extremely dangerous, and he's proved in the past in the playoffs the the freedom as a hitter. It's not that we don't focus on average; we do, and I think we almost focus on it too much to where pressure can come through. When you eliminate that stress of okay, gosh, I'm, it's creeping, it's creeping down, it's creeping down. If you eliminate that str- that stress, and there's only one goal to win this game with the eight guys behind you it frees up your mind to just getting back to the basics and letting your natural ability take over. Because uh, I do feel like there's certain times you think about a Trey Turner during the year, you think he, they signed him for a reason for 300 million. Right. And the fans are booing him. Why did we sign this guy? Why'd you sign him? It's because he's the best shortstop in the game. It's hands down. He changes games left and right. And when they got together and they did the whole standing ovation, let's, let's stop booing him. Let's give him that praise that he deserves. It changed the whole Philly season. You can't say that it doesn't affect. Trey Turner knows he wasn't doing well, and he's one of the best in the game. It is affecting his actual, not just hitting, but defense, all that. So now when Trey starts going off, now guess what? Because he just came off the World Baseball Classic as the king, and he, and he did 
terrible for the first four months. I mean, you can't say average doesn't affect players. And when when you guys are all set for one goal, you can see it now. The light's there. You got the World Series on the mind. And you can free up your brain to just let's compete. It It's easier. Now, granted, like you said, it's there's other things that's not easier. You're facing the elite of the elite. Their best stuff. Their sharpest stuff. They're locked in the most they've ever been locked in. But, yeah, I agree with Chris's statement and what he was trying to prove. Yes. Schwarber's a great example there. It was a good call bringing him yeah. that. And the the, the trade turn, it's just amazing how how you make people feel can impact people's performance. It's just it's reality yeah. of of everything. Yeah. It's good. And I think Trey's gone through uh, struggles before, but yeah. Nothing like that. Yep. Uh Patrick wants us to do a reflection on Bryce Harper. So Bryce Harper is 30. He's pretty good at baseball. I couldn't hear you. Sorry, I dropped something. So Bryce Harper's 30. He's the, the tweet is he's been in the limelight for half of his life now. Loved as a teammate, considered a tremendous leader, an elite player, multiple MVP winner, perennial all-star. Uh, is he like effectively the – is he the LeBron James of baseball? Is that – is that a reach? When you think I, I about think all it's... those things that you just mentioned, it's not a reach. Yeah. I mean, not many 15-year-olds are going to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated, keep a level head, stay determined to be the best in the game, and continue to grow every single year like he's done. And he's had yeah. people hate him the whole time. It, it doesn't really make sense the to me time. why he has – I don't – and you think about – People really bring out like four bad things he said. Think about that. For 15 years, half your life, you said four, not bad things, but four controversial things maybe. I don't even know what they are, but I just know he's had a couple, two, three. If you're an 18-, 19-year-old kid just getting to the big leagues with the the future of franchise player, all this stuff around you, how can you not say a couple? When I was 18 years old, I don't even know what I was saying. I get like random notifications on my Facebook. One of my memories from 17 years ago was woke up feeling like P. Diddy. Like, what? The, I was 18 years old. <laughs> like, Amazing. what am I doing? But he's in the limelight. He's like, you know, if he said that, it'd be like, what is Bryce Harper doing? But he's been doing it for so long. And the fact of the matter is he gets better every year. Like, he's he, like, learns. He gets – he he he's put himself in situations where he's supposed to be the guy to come through, and he's come through. So, yeah, you're, you're flirting with, yeah, that kind of category for him. Yeah, I think I think part of maturity as a player is like he's ultra competitive, right? I think all of his mm. issues and air quotes issues have come as a result mm-hmm. of his competitiveness and like people being jealous. Like people hate him because they're jealous ultimately. Mm-hmm. So part of that maturity is learning when to internalize something versus pop off. Just be like, all right, right. if that's what he's you think about me, about I'm going to just – I'm going to beat you on the field and act like you don't matter. I think that's the ultimate insult is just, it's not sounding off. It's not calling them out verbally. It's not doing some social media post. It's like, I'm going to demoralize you on the field. That is the ultimate like disrespect. So if people are, people are hating on you, beat them, beat them and treat them like they don't matter. 
That's the best. To me, that, that's why I like all the bat flip stuff. It's like, dude, just if you're better than them, just impose yourself. Just make mm-hmm. them feel like they stink. That you're so much better than them. That's to me is that's the ultimate thing. Think but, about uh, his, I think he's, uh, done a, he's done a good job. He loves Philadelphia. It's amazing how much he loves Philadelphia. Um, wasn't there talk about him going to the Cubs at one point? There's talk about him going to the Yankees. Yeah. He just yeah. loves Philadelphia. Cashman didn't want him with the Yankees. He didn't think he could play first base. He had too many outfielders. Now he's playing. Yeah, left-handed, left-handed bat in the lineup would stink at that uh, stadium. Now he's playing first base, and he looks pretty good at first. It's Listen, it's not easy to just be an outfielder your whole life. I was a third baseman my whole life, infield, and I went to first. I still felt uncomfortable for him to come back from Tommy John in like four months and then just be like, yeah, I'll play first. And then, yeah, I'll be in the core in the of the lineup is not yeah, even really. I think side of the field helps. Yeah. Coming from right so, field to first is, is helpful there. It's still, I mean, it's still not easy. But for me, flipping from the left side to the right side of the infield was always a problem. I agree with that. That's, the angle of the bat, it just felt so different being on the other side. But he's just never taking ground balls. Like that's so right side, but ground balls, (laughs) crazy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I like the dude. Yeah, and then uh, Carlos Correa, he had a a really good deke play. Ball squirts away from the catcher. He throws up. uh, Don't throw it. Did you see it? Don't throw. Yep. Don't throw. Yep. Jose Abreu puts it in neutral. He held out, not doing a tag for a long time. Because Abreu just coasted in, and uh, right. my favorite part of the play is he like he like does this like spin move around him. Abreu. Yeah. It's like it and felt like little brother game. being like, oh, I got you, I got you. <laughs> uh, just a great baseball play to me. Yeah. I I love stuff like this so much when it comes to like being a fan and like just appreciating thinking that happens. I like the I like the mental side of the game way more than the physical side. Physical side, me too. Sure, I can be impressed, but it doesn't like engage me so much. Like, great, you hit a ball hard. Cool. The thinking behind it is what I care about more. So, I, And Absolutely. I just think Correa is a winning player. He's you know, He was a winning player with the Astros. He's, I don't. I hate using the phrase built for this, but just his mentality, his approach, his, his mindset just seems like he's the, the, a winning type of player. I don't even know how to define that right now. I, I I think that's it. He's a winning player. I mean, think about after the scandal, the next year they went to the playoffs. That dude went off. I mean, that is the world watching the Astros for one full season. Actually, I guess it was COVID season, so 60 games. The weight of the world watching you, hoping you fail, and then he gets into those moments, and he just is a different, a different level of like baseball player I saw. Nothing was going to beat him. His intangibles are through the roof. It wasn't just that play of the uh, the deke. I mean, think about Gay in the wild card when the uh, ball trickled underneath. I forget it was playing third. Trickled underneath his glove, bare hand um, throughout Bichette. Bichette, with, Bichette was trying to score, and he came out and fired to the plate. Yeah. He just makes plays. He's, you know, like, he's a, he does the little things. He thinks very well. He puts himself in, a be, he puts himself in positions to be successful very consistently. Mm-hmm. And even I saw an interview where he was talking about um, Valdez, Framber, Framber Valmez, Valdez, um, the oh, lefty yeah. pitcher for the Astros. It was like a double play situation. Oh, sure, he's yeah. like, oh, I know he's going to be throwing these type of pitches. The, the last thing I was going to let myself do was roll over. Just 
he he really thinks about what the other team is going to be doing. And that's like being a heads up player, being a being a baseball player to me is understanding what you're trying to do, but then understanding what they're trying sure. to do so that you can adjust what yep. you're trying to do. And then it's like, that's the rabbit hole. That's the cat and mouse. It's how many layers deep are you going to go with that? And yeah. being right. Like you have to know, because some players are just out there just existing. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking like that at all. And you just, it's a face value thing. Some players are thinking deeper and he seems to just do a good job thinking at the right level of depth consistently. They were talking about him before the game and kind of like a little speech. I don't know if he did it to the team or to his hitters or to the dugout, whatever it was, but he knows Framil. So he's like his emotional pitcher. If he's out of the zone early, like we got to be all on top of him in the dugout. Like there's got to be some noise in here. Like, cause he's going to build off that and he's going to fire him up. And that does not work for Framil. When he's fired up, he's just not the same pitcher. If he gets comfortable, we're screwed. Kind of like the what what the reporter had said, like is the message he gave, and you could see that dugout. Like he's they're a young team; they don't know that. He's bringing another intangible piece of information. Guess what? Fran Mill was out of the game, and he just wasn't himself. He couldn't locate. You know, got hitters counts left and right. It's it's that stuff goes a long way. It's like a David Ross for me, honestly. When I got to watch David Ross as a player, and he wasn't playing. And he had this book, and he's taking down notes of each pitcher. He's like picking up certain tells that you can't even think about. You, how did you see that? How are you even looking for that? What made you think that he's going to do that with this? His back foot does this. Uh, I'm reading the coach on the front step to find out if certain. I'm like, what? I'm trying to get a hit like that. That'd be a, a win for me if I get a hit here. And you're like focusing on everything else just to win a ball game. So like those those guys are much needed in playoff pushes. It's uh it's just a different it's a different style play. Regular season playoffs yep. are different. It's just it is yep. it is. And it's interesting when you look at look at roster construction and like building a team that's gonna win in the regular season doesn't it's not the same as building a team that's gonna win in the playoffs. There's no. different elements involved. And uh if you have a weakness like, it's gonna get exploited. Moneyball is kind of a lot of people will be mad if you say that, but Moneyball kind of proves that where it's like buying wins or buying runs or preventing runs in the regular season is not the same as the playoffs. It's just an elevated level. It's like Major League Baseball is the highest level of the game. The playoffs are a higher level than the right. Then it's like a different league. It's a different, it's a whole different thing. Yeah. And then there's like luck and there's, there's, you know, bad breaks and star performances and all that stuff. But I, I, I always feel like winning teams, the people, the, the culture around winning programs breeds that like it helps like it, the mindset of the players, the attitude, of the players, the energy of the players, the whole vibe of the whole thing is better on winning teams. Like the culture promotes it. it. It doesn't happen randomly. You know how I saw that? Like I think about with the Rangers, playoff push, coming off World Series, um, lost, but they're in the lead in division when I came up. I immediately, my first day, I'm like, all right, right before the game. Hey, Mike, I know we're leaving right after this. Michael Young. I'm like, 
where do I get the beer? Where do I get like I need? I know I think he's like, what are you, beer, dude? Let's go win a ball game. Like I, I don't care about any of that stuff. That's the atmosphere all of them had. Not just Mike. It was all of them. And then you go to like when I was with the Cubs, we weren't very good. Like, hey rookies, get the beer. Like that's the focus before the game. Like it's it's a, it's an atmosphere that that makes you that is within everybody that creates winning programs in in the playoffs and. You find that out during the season for sure, but it, it consists more. You can't fake it in the season, and then all of a sudden the playoffs come around. It's like, all right, everybody, let's lock in. Let's let's do the little things. Yeah. Like it, it starts day one. It Feels like I watch. Yeah, late in the season. Yeah. Yep. Uh, any predictions moving forward? We get the Rangers. The Rangers have moved on. Uh, Houston's up two to one right now. Who do you got it coming out of that series? We're gonna have an all Texas. Final here for the AL? I think so, yeah. Feels that, feels that way. I, I think so. Is the next game for them is where it's in? I believe it's in Houston. It's in Houston, yeah. What are the uh, – uh, I don't know, though. Um, no, it's in Minnesota. Is it 2-2-1? Two, two, is that how they do it? 2-2-1, two, 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 yep. That makes sense. Yeah, Houston's – Houston, the way they rebounded after game one, um, they got fresh arms. Their starters have gone deep. Yeah, I think Houston pulls that one off. Game four. Yeah, it's 2-2-1. Two, two, Interesting. And then yeah. uh, will the Diamondbacks close out L.A.? They just went into their house yeah. and took them out two games. Two well, shots to do at home. I, you think about it, they got – I thought I heard, I heard Kershaw's like, is, is he like up next to pitch? I mean, and they got Bobby Miller, who's a rookie that struggled to find the zone. Like, their starting pitch is not, not there right now. So, you don't have the Walker Mueller. You don't have Gosselin or whatever. His, I think it's Gosselin. You don't have those guys. So, Kershaw, listen, he's a Hall of Famer. He, can he rebound? Yeah. But when you get to a deciding game like Bobby Miller coming off of no confidence through the first time he started in a playoff. It's, I think they had the advantage to just run away with it. They are super hot, super aggressive, and they don't like people saying like what you said. Like we didn't even know Diamondbacks <laughs> was still a team. They, they feel that they're still in the league. Uh, yeah. yeah, their manager even mentioned it. He's like, "Oh, our guys like we know what you guys think about us being here, and it's firing up the boys." And I like felt him say that. Oh, uh, there was one video I saw of him. It's a uh, Lovelo. Is that how you say it? Ter- Tori Lovelo, I think. There was one video. He's like, "We're gonna celebrate this win. Let's party tonight. A connected team is a yeah. dangerous team." And I was like, "Let's go!" I like yeah. wanted to start doing like Stone Cold Steve Austin beer smashes. I just yeah, listening to him. It's true. Like a uh, great. it was like a, a summer I thing. I remember. Well, you? I know a lot of guys that played for him. And they said he's just amazing. Like the players manager, but like we'll defend them to no other. Yeah. Well, it's so weird they have before. It's uh I, mean, I saw one <laughs> Jared Diamond, he writes for the Wall Street Journal. He uh he was doing sports for a while, then he got moved off of sports, now he's back on sports. And he had a tweet the other day, he's like, uh it was like one of those like explain it to me like I'm five type tweets. He's like, for people that haven't watched the Diamondbacks all year, like, what do I need to know? 
And one person was like, they play like the best team in baseball for two weeks. And then they play like the worst team in baseball for two weeks. He's like, just if they're going they good, hold on. Going. Just try to hold on. <laughs> yeah. That's all you need right now in the playoffs. That's all you need. Gonna win, gonna win yeah, what? Two, three, four, uh, five, nine. You need to win 13 games. Go win 13 games. Figure it out. It's more like a, closer to a month, but they can figure it out. Um, Braves, Phillies, I'm excited. I just, I, yeah, I love the Philly fan. I, I love watching the Phillies in the playoffs. And the, the Braves fans aren't slouches either. So I just I think that's an awesome series. It's an awesome Philly series. has experience in this hostel. Like I, I heard yesterday they played last year they played twenty one straight away games before their first home playoff game. Like they've been through the ringer. They're they had a tough loss at the end of the World Series that's that's making them hungry. Like those fans are just as hungry as those players. So it's gonna be I had I might have a chance to go to the Thursday game. I may wear a GoPro and just wear a Braves jersey and just see if I make it out alive. Just film the whole thing. We'll put it on the next pickle episode. Love it, love it. I I feel like the Dodgers, man, they're they're so good, but they're it's like a regular season team. I hate saying that, but with their starting pitching right now, and they just they they um they go to the bullpen so much. Did you see the quote? I know. Um, it was the Blue Jays quote where they took out who was the starting pitcher, the guy that was with the Twins. Now he's the Blue Jays. Um, they they took him oh, out. Um, they took Berrios. Him out. Berrios. Yeah. yeah, Berrios. Yeah, they took him out after like forty-seven pitches. He's dealing, and they take him out. And the quote, the quote after the game was, "We're trying to use the whole roster." And I was like, "Dude, in the playoffs, I'm trying to use the least amount of players. I want my best players on the field as much as possible." I'm not trying to, I'm trying, I want my worst players never touching the field. I don't, like, you have your good players and you have your non good players. You, everybody knows who they are. Every, like, on every team ever, you know who your best players are. And it's a feeling. It's like when they're on the mound, it's like, all right, let's go. When they're up to bat, everybody's locked in. If you get a guy playing out of position, everybody knows it. And that guy can step up yeah. and he can make plays. But it just changes the vibe. It changes the whole feel of things when you don't when you know your best team is not on the field in a must win game. A game that your season's over if you lose. You could see it. I you didn't could hear see that. when Bachette when when yeah. Bichette went and like tapped him on the shoulder when he got taken out. He's like basically being like, We know, man. We get it. Like we know how you feel. Mm. Like it was just so obvious to me that it was not a good move based on the vibes. That happened a couple years in the in the when the, the Rays took Blake Snell out a couple years ago and the Dodgers were laughing. It's like, that's a wrong move. If you take a guy out and the other team's laughing, like, thank you so much for taking this guy out of the game. Yeah. I, you know, it's the wrong move. I mean, I would watch Berrios closely because I know playoff wise, he hasn't done extremely well. Yeah. And in the season, he's gotten hit, but his stuff looked good that day. It was sharp. It was getting him off balance. Like, I would just continue to watch him closely. I didn't know it was 47 pitches, and that was a mindset of getting him out of there. Yeah, that's interesting. Yep. All right, last topic. We have Rintaro Sasaki from Japan. Oh, I love it, dude. He hit 140 homers in his high school career. 140 home runs, which is wild. I don't know how many games we're playing, but that's a lot. Uh, 
I saw one person call him the Japanese Prince Fielder, which I loved because when I saw him swing the first time, I thought Prince Fielder. This dude hits mammos. Uh, a lot of um, a lot of consequence with this in terms of he's forgoing the NP, NBP draft to attend college, which means it's not the bonus, the posting system. I saw one thing that said he's not eligible for NIL money, which is very strange because it's like, why does that matter if he's just a student and a human being? Like you can't make money. I don't know. Uh, I feel like sponsorship in Japan would be huge. I feel like there's just a lot of potential there from a marketing and a, a business standpoint, but dude just hits tanks. It's like, he's got so much barrel whip. He extends it. He goes oppo. It's crazy. It's the the weirdest fields. thing about the weirdest thing about a stat line is they said he had 140 homers and hit over 400. I feel like if you have 140 hits in high school, your batting average should be like 800. Like I, I, I got like 60 at bats a year. So in three years of RC, I had 180 at bats. He's got 140 homers. Yeah, I gotta know how many like games. Was he 140 for 400? How many at bats are these guys getting? I don't know. I was telling Patrick though, and some of the highlight films I saw. I mean, for high school pitching, he was facing. It didn't look terrible. It wasn't like Connecticut pitching when I was coming up. Like, oh, Mike hit this many homers with Connecticut pitching. It was. Some breaking ball starting over the head, left on left, that he's taking oppo. It's some velo from a righty that's down yeah. like submarine-ish. Like, it's – I love it. If he goes to Vanderbilt, that's going to I'm trying yeah. to get him to UConn. There you go. Yeah, get him up there. Get him. Get, get Penders on that. The uh, the one – I saw one tweet that said that he typically sees 85, 86 miles an hour. Like, dude, what high school player sees that consistently? That's you know, you're going to have your big arms, but then you have a bunch of guys throwing 78. Yeah. Yeah. So bunch, he hits tanks. Uh, the bigger conversation here is just recruiting portal, NIL transfers, um, a big, some big threads, some big discussions right now about college rosters. And I was, I was involved in a thread yesterday where somebody's like, Basically, a mid-major school pulled scholarships for an entire class. The entire class of 2024, they pulled scholarships for, which is pretty crazy. And my response was essentially like, if if you're a high school player not getting recruited by a D1 team, that means you're not D1 talent. And if that makes you feel bad, that's a you problem. Yeah. There's There's less spots available. No, I won't say that. There's there's the same number of spots available, but there's less players leaving each year. So there's more seniors, there's more juniors because the mm-hmm. draft got shortened. Right. So more players are sticking around. There's less new opportunities each year. And because of NIL and because of the portal stuff, or transfer rules, you can just go out and snag players. And like I, I've talked to college coaches who are like, why would I take a risk on a high school player yeah, I've seen if – I can go to a some kid at a, at a D2 level has proven he can handle college life because that's a big factor that people don't talk about. Can get grades, can not drink himself off a roster, yep. can you know maintain his student athlete eligibility and like have success in college life versus some high school kid that's a very, very unknown commodity. I, I don't blame them. The thing that sucks about it is you get kids that are, you know, you're trying to get a degree. That's the whole point of playing in college is sure. you're trying to get an, it. There's an academic component that does not exist in professional baseball pro sure. ball. You move up, 
good dude your card you're like double a is like what mm-hmm. you could we could do this i don't want to be unfair to juco division three is like single a division two is like double a division three is like triple a sorry division one is like triple a so like mm-hmm. if you just moved up the level of play because you're good it'd be no issue because you don't have like your classes and your you know, right. how many credits you have and where are you getting a, an apartment and yeah, like all this other stuff that has to do with academic life that's tied into playing at the next level. So there's just, it's just a weird dynamic right now. And there's been, you know, rumblings for years about high school baseball dying and like, why, why are sports tied to academics in the schools? Like, the more and more it gets to free agency, the more these schools are making big time dollars. Like there, there's a, there's a transition point where it makes sense for the sports not to be tied to the school. It just, and I hate that because I think college sports are amazing. But Mm -hmm. part of what makes it amazing is like, you have the storylines of the players only have four years. There's a, there's a clock on their career at that level. I think that's part of what makes it fun. How many years does that get him? into pro ball like does it save him what like four years five years if he comes over early and avoids japanese pro ball uh i don't know the rules on that i don't i think he can just enter the draft if he does it like the major league draft right i I know that but like if he stayed at japan then he has to wait like i forget how many years before he's eligible to even come to america I, i think so if he if he stays there, my guess is what yeah, it, it, it's a big yeah, jump. Right? It's more, I think the the posting system and the, the one of the reasons this is looked at as like a really big deal is because he's like the first player to do this, like on a big yeah. like a big marquee name. So when the NBA was doing stuff like this, there were guys that like went to Australia or went to Europe to basically skip college, like go get paid, yep. go play, and then still be eligible. So this yep. is the first guy to really do it in the baseball realm, which is weird because like, cool. right. I don't, I don't know all the rules. I, I don't, I just, it's not my job to pay attention to all of it, but like international signing bonuses for Latin players versus Japanese players versus Korean players. Like, I don't know how that works. Mm-hmm. It just seems like it's treated differently based on the country that you're from, which is strange to me. There's so many things involved in that, that I don't even want to, I don't know if I want to learn about that, but it's no. just, it's weird. Like you can't do NIL maybe it's for going the draft there. It's, it's all players rights and it all, it all boils down to money ultimately. It always does. Yeah. It always does. Yeah. Uh, thoughts on like the big picture transfer portal. Like what, what do you think your college career would have been like? I, I've always joked around. I should have gone to Juco cause I was, Young, undersized. I was a good baseball player, but I had no tools. Would you have, would, do you think in, if your college career was happening now, you would do it differently? Or do you think it would play out different? Uh, honestly, no. My mindset would never be, it's, it's a long, it's going to be a long argument that we can get into, but I've had a lot of talks with a lot of kids that have transferred and their reasonings are not justified to me. Um, whether it be playing time or argument or there's a lot of things that I've heard. And I feel like for me, I never had the mindset of I'm going to go somewhere and leave. 
And yeah. I think, uh, um, I think, uh, um, I just sent the, an amazing yeah. group text <laughs> to the, to the <laughs> so read that. It made me laugh. But, um, I would never fans pick up on it. I, I personally made it as far as I did because of UConn. And I knew that from the day I first walked on campus that this is where I need to be. I feel like a lot of guys that are leaving certain schools go into different situations. They're not understanding who's coming in as well and where their actual situation is going to be when they get there. So they could be just now yep. transferring into another spot, same situation, because they're constantly bringing in different people. You've got to compete. Like it's just a plain and simple. You, everywhere you go, you've got to compete. And I look at Nick Ahmed as being like a prime example that I don't see anymore. Nick Ahmed came in. I was a freshman All-American. That dude followed me. Every single rep would not leave my side. I'm like, dude, will you just relax? He's doing sit-ups in the corner after practice. We're all dying throwing up. He's like doing sit-ups. I'm like, this guy is – does he actually think he's going to play short? He didn't even – I don't know if he had a scholarship. I think this is the only school he didn't take a scholarship. And he's like, I'm going to play at UConn. That is why he made it to the big leagues, that mindset he had. He looked at me. He's like, well, Mike had an unreal year. I don't give a shit. And he'll tell stories about it. Like he's first time he saw me hit and stuff like that. He's like, yeah, it was, it was alarming, but I never like said, I'm not going to play over you right to my face. It's good. That, that is what made him because his defense is through the roof. Um, talented as a hitter in college, not, not nearly like what some guys are now. And he is just a guy that will never take no for an answer. And that's why he's played 10 years in the big leagues. These kids that are going in, they're getting in a situation that's not okay for them. Oh, I got to argue with my coach. Oh, they're thinking about bringing in another star recruit. They're disrespecting me. I'm leaving. Guess what? Like, life is going to be worse in the pro ball, kid. Like, it's not going to get better. Now yeah. we mix in superstar international prospects. It's They're losing the mindset to just fight. And uh, that's my only, like, really frustrates me. That's a fantastic point. The um, I had a player who was, who was going to be a potentially very high draft pick. He had a scholarship to a very top, you know, a team that was in the College World Series last year. And conversations around like, should I sign? Should I go to college? Like, what what should mm -hmm. I do? What should I do? Like that that type of like, dude, the money's yep. a factor. The it's, and ultimately, I was like, dude, what? you got to be one of the best 30 in the planet at your position. Maybe you might need to be one of the best 15 because you might be trapped behind somebody that's better than you. That sure. happens. If you're trapped sure. behind somebody that's better than you, realistically, like if, if you play third base and somebody else on the team plays third base, the, the, the best third baseman is going to play third, but to get the second best at third, they might get moved to first. If you're that no, good, you're going to be in the lineup. Yep. If you're that good. So if you think it's a big deal that you got to be at that third base because you got to get drafted, well, guess what? You're not better than the other guy. And practicing with him every day is probably going to make you better than going somewhere else and being the best player. So like Nick Saban talks about it where like their practices are so competitive. And that's a big part of building like a pro caliber player is being yep. around other players that are going to push you and challenge you. So like, yeah, the, the kid that's better than you is making you better. And yeah, you got to play. And you that I understand that argument. How you get pushed and how you respond to that dictates so much of who you are as a player. And I think that's getting so undervalued in 
the whole transfer thing right now. Like responding yeah, to it. How do you how are you gonna respond? Who are you gonna be as a result of it? Are you gonna pack your bags up and go to a different school? Or are you gonna fight and prove that you deserve to be in that lineup? And listen, there are uh, before I get maybe if this ever clip surfaces and there are good transfers. Like there are oh, yeah. good times to transfer. I'm not saying it like that. Like it's just all like if they transfer, they don't have the mindset to make it or they're soft or there are plenty of good circumstances. But in my experience, I have talked to a lot of kids. Like when I work with Chandler, I talked to a lot of kids that were in situations. And I'm like, listen, it's your decision. But I like just here. I, I was just there to hear, listen. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, it's just their reasonings were off. It's my dad talked to him. Uh, my co- First of all, why is your dad talking to your coach? Like it, it goes that deep. Like when it comes to college as a coach, if I got my, one of my players, dad's talking to me over me, over the actual player. Like, yeah, there's, <laughs> I'm losing some respect in regards to where you're at and what you're going to provide for the, the actual team. So there, there are definitely people that I, I have suggested to transfer, but yeah, the portal is, it's an interesting, it's maybe more bad than, than good is what I, I see. What about if, if you're a scout, right? If you're a scout and this kid's elite, he's really, he's really good at an unbelievable junior year or senior year. And he's been to four colleges. What, like, what does that say? Like, what am I looking at? Like, why? And am I, am I going to ask the player why you transferred? I, I won't get the right answer. Now I'm going to ask the coaches. Now you're, now you're putting, as a player, you're putting the coach's words, if there was bad beef between you, into being a, a prime target of negotiation with, with scouts and trying to make a big decision. Yep. Also, like if you have to move positions, stick with that's it. That's probably going to be favorable win. for you in the eyes wow, of the scout. T-shirt. Like this guy's willing to do Whoa. things to win. Like people don't think about it that way. I don't think, but yeah, I, no. I completely agree. There are good reasons to transfer. If it's a bad, mm-hmm. fit, if it, there are times when it's a bad fit, you get into a situation, Absolutely. whether it's academic, athletic, social stuff happens with your hey, family. There's, 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 sign, he didn't sign. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you just don't like the campus. You just get there and it's not, not what you thought you're it was going to be. Yeah. You're too far. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's definitely good reasons. I don't think like I'm <laughs> basically saying I'm not good enough to win a spot on the, on the, in the lineup when you transfer. And there's, there are times the other the other aspect of it is a kid that plays really well and they think they need to go like I gotta go to the next level. And maybe it's money. Maybe they think they're gonna get money. Yeah. Um I remember so Jeremy Pena, shortstop for the Astros right now. I remember going to a yep. game. Maine. They he was at Maine and I went to a game at Boston yep. College and he was playing. I was like, Who is this kid? I I I wasn't paying attention to the college market at all. I'm like, this kid's got some mm-hmm. hands. Like this kid's good looked up his stats and I, I was sitting with a scout and we were just talking and he, he was very concerned that his, basically his batting average and his, his like traditional stats hadn't improved from his freshman to sophomore to junior year. Like he basically was hitting like 310, 315, 305. Like his numbers weren't jumping. And he was like, typically if like a player repeats double A, we need to see them make a jump. And I was like, well, what? Which was cool, which was good to know, but then I was like, "Well, what? 
what about the lineup? Like, was he batting eighth as a freshman and then yeah. batting sixth as a sophomore and now he's batting third? What's like, what protection does he have around him? Is if he's hitting with somebody really good behind him, he's getting a lot of Ooh. pitches to hit and now he's not getting any pitches to hit. And then Ooh, we're like, like well, what do you do at the Cape? What do you do at the Cape? He's like, well, he, mm-hmm. he did exactly what he's doing now at the Cape. He's like just a 300 hitter everywhere he goes. Like, so is that a bad yep. thing or is that a good thing? Like, the way that I was, the assumption is like every time you move up, your performance is going to drop. What ends up happening is the guys that like just are good hitters, if they're good hitters and they don't have holes in their swing, if they hit 300, they just hit 300 everywhere they go. Yeah. Like they, that's just who they are. That's what they do. That's who they, that's the standard that they hold themselves to. That's just, it's their normal. So it's just, a, just another perspective on it. Like just because you had a good year, like you might go to some power five school and have a terrible year. Yeah. Then what? Then when are you going to transfer back? Go, like, I want to come back and play against the worst competition. Like the goal has to be to become as good as you could possibly be. Find out how good your best is. If you're doing that, you're not doing anything wrong. Get around people yeah. that care about yeah. you. Get around the people. Oh, that- yeah. Listen, the Northeast is not getting a bad rap anymore on talent coming out of there for within the draft. So if you can find that spot in the Northeast and you can put up numbers and continue to grow, you don't have to go down south as much. What's going on? It feels like the wind just like picked up outside. It's like whistling in a very strange way. I don't like that. I don't like I get scared when it gets windy down here. <laughs> that's, like that's misting fair, and like really windy. Yeah. Yeah. Extreme weather. A lot of extreme weather. Um, awesome. Good episode, Mike. That was fun. Good. Any really closing good thoughts? No. Do you want to do the, the pickle out thing that Chris does? What you you do, uh, but this, do your thing. Do your thing. This is your, you get to sign off. This is, uh, you get to create your little trademark here. Chris always says, on that wow. note, pickle out. Fresh. You get you to do. pick. Yeah. You get to pick. You gotta do a quick though, because people are listening. Just wrap it up. Pickle. Ow.